DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Question up on our Facebook page, got a lot of traction this weekend. Zach Wilson making it official, declaring for the NFL draft. Did he make the right move? David Hastings, great move, unless Denver drafts him. Rusty, don't worry about it, he'll do just fine. Not even a question, Blair says. Absolutely the right move. Good luck, kid. Hashtag go Utes. And Dave says his stock will never be higher. No question. Right move. A lot of people saying yes. He's got to go, PK. And with first-round picks, I think the average is like $18 million. And, of course, there's a wide variety there. It's, I think you can double it if you're the number one pick. And we've actually seen first-round guys end up on on practice squads uh, if you're at the end of the first round. So that's a swing and a miss right there on the draft pick. But that's a lot of money. Uh, <laughs> $18 million? That is a pile of cash to tell someone to pass on and risk a shoulder injury down the line. Sure. If you're looking to make a money decision, this is the right decision. But you hear some people say, never make a decision based solely on money. So stay and be the big man on campus. Well, of course, they're telling other people not to do that. Uh, Not necessarily doing it themselves. Uh, So, oh, I don't know that I buy that advice. I don't know that it's worth anything. It's something to consider. It's something to listen to. So I don't think that this is a money-exclusive decision. It's not, well, gosh, I better grab the money now. I mean, what we understand, the family's well off anyway. So uh, he's been around affluence. Good for him. Wish I could have said the same thing growing up. Uh, But I'm fine where I'm at. Uh, For him, it's about the opportunity to play NFL football. I think that's the bigger uh, driving factor in this, not the, well, it could be 18. It looks like he's going to go extremely high. Now, things could change. We don't know that. Uh, and uh, but you know you're hearing one, two, three, four, five. I mean, if you go in the top ten, that's pretty doggone high, obviously. Uh, and at that point, you're wor- you're more worried about the situation that you're getting yourself into. Uh, you're going to be rich either way. That that's taken care of. But are you going to have a good team around yeah. you? Is it a perpetual disaster of a franchise with a bad owner cycling through coaches every two or three years? That's the most important thing, not necessarily the good team around you, because it's probably the answer to that is no. The draft is set up that you don't if you go that high, right? It's supposed to be you're going to a losing team. That's why they're drafting that high. But what you want is competent management, which includes ownership and general manager and coaching, all those things that go in to management. And you're right. These changing of the coaches just becomes a perpetual losing cycle. We've been seeing it for since the beginning of pro sports, probably. I don't know what they were doing back in the 30s and 40s and 50s if they're changing coaches every couple of years, like it seems like some of these teams do. And then you just wonder, well, are you ever going to get out of it? Not if you keep doing that. You don't obviously want that to be your situation. But it looks like, from a football perspective, it is his time to go see what he can do. You can call up the mock drafts, and who knows if they'll be spot on, but NBCSports.com has Zach Wilson going number two to the New York Jets. 
By the way, they have Penny Sewell going number five to the Bengals. That would be two Utah high school kids in the top five in the draft. Well, wow. I think that's that's a very good likelihood of happening. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. And if I'm Utah, I'm uh, having gnashing of teeth. I'm in the Pac-12 now, and neither one of those guys are coming out from my school. And I'm in the Pac-12. That can't happen. But yet it does happen. And fortunately for BYU, they got a hold of one of them. I can remember uh, a couple years back, it's probably what, uh, well, when Sewell was in his senior year of high school, BYU decided to have a practice down at Dixie High School in St. George. And I went down for it. And, oh, my gosh, fortunately my wife drove me to the practice because we only had the one car, right? We're down there. Which is good because there's nowhere to park that one car? Well, oh, my goodness, I had no idea. I would have had to walk two miles. <laughs> it was so crowded. The place was packed. And I got there about 10 minutes before, and I'm driving thinking, what is this? This is a Lavelle Edwards Stadium here? This is crazy. So she obviously just dropped me off. And then I, Jay Drew was down there covering, and he actually took me where I needed to go afterward. I told my wife, Jay will, Jay will handle it. But anyway, Sewell was there. And holy cow, man, were those coaches just around him like crazy. And and I didn't follow high school football. I don't, I, you know, I don't follow it that much. Uh, but, you know, I'd heard of the kid and all the love that they were showing him that day. And obviously he still goes to Oregon and his younger brother goes to Oregon. And that's just uh, not good for the state. I wish these kids would stay. Well, I wish they would go to Tempe, but that's not likely. Uh, but then I want them to at least stay home, but they don't. Uh, so yeah, they're going to get the kids from U- two two kids from Utah are going to be drafted very high. The Jets is an interesting situation. I still, and maybe it's my Pac-12 bias, I haven't thrown Sam Darnold out the door yet. I I still think he's a good quarterback and can be something. Yeah, you're not on an island there. I think there's definitely that thought out there. Whether it's you know a third of the football people or a quarter or a half. I can't tell you that, but I've definitely heard and read that multiple times. And so the question becomes, well, with Adam Gaze getting fired, who's going to take over the Jets and what are they going to think? And how are they going to, you know, are the Jets going to want to trade out of the two spot? Is someone else going to want to trade in to get a quarterback? Is it going to be Zach? Is it going to be somebody else? I think that's why when you start talking about the Utah high school kids will be two of the top five. Let's wait to see who gets hired to run these teams, who's going to have the power to call the shots, and who's going to trade up or down. I think it's going to happen, though. The two of the top five. Yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that, but I can't guarantee you second, third, or fourth, not knowing which teams are going to be in that spot. It seems like a huge wild card. The thing about Darnold is only 23 years old. Yeah, and that's why when PK says, hey, there's upside with this guy still, you're not the only one saying that. Get a competent coach in there and let him do his thing. Right, but at the same time, you might go into New York and like Darnold, but then get an offer for him and think, okay, I'm going to trade Darnold and I'm going to trade down in the draft because we're the Jets and we're a lot of players away from being good. So if I can swap these guys and turn them into more players, that's what we're going to need because we we need a lot of players. It seems like, though, these quarterbacks, when they come out, they're taken high, and then if you go to trade them, they don't have near the trade value that you think you thought you would get from where you drafted them. Uh, So... I don't know how that would play out, but that's to be determined in the coming months. As far as Zach Wilson, he needs to be tested by the NFL. He absolutely needs to be tested. And I I don't know that he's going to succeed. I I believe he can. I think he will. But to me, NFL quarterbacking is uh, I'm taking not quite, 
But I it's take like the coaching. total coaching where yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't ju- know. I just saw a story on this. There have been like 18 quarterbacks taken in the first round of the NFL draft over the last five years. And right now, about half of them are starters. So it is a coin flip. You know, and some of the guys, when you say over the last five years, well, the guy who's only been in the league one or two years could still turn out to be a really good quarterback, and we just don't know it yet. Now, if you're four or five years out from the draft, it's a different deal. And, uh, you know, when we get closer, we can recount them and all their stories and all that. But basically, you're sitting here on a 50-50 proposition, and, and nobody really knows. I mean, I mean, look at, uh, look at the Chargers. Yeah, they've got a young quarterback, and he's exciting, but it's only because the doctor administered a shot poorly that he even oh, got on the field game one. That's not true. He would have got on the game field at some point during the year because the team sucked. Yes. I mean, we know how he got out on the field, but that's not the only reason. Uh, he was going to play uh, at, at some point. Uh, the thing about these quarterbacks, though, when you look at them, there's a lot of good quarterbacks in the league, but good doesn't is not good enough. So you take like a Derek Carr or a Matthew Stafford. Right? These guys are decent NFL quarterbacks. I think we would all agree with that. But yet they're not good enough to where they're winning. If you take a, a, a like a Derek Carr or Stafford, put them at another position. I think that most coaches would be happy with their production. But yet you put them at quarterback, and they're so under the spotlight at all times that, oh, I want more, man. I want Aaron Rodgers. And there's just not that many. No matter where <laughs> you draft these guys, they're, they're not that many. And so you want that guy. And then the pressure becomes on, well, can you be that guy? And I'm going to give you a couple of chances, basically. If you're not that guy, you're out the door, which is what the potentially the Jets could do with Darnold. You know, he's well, he's not that guy. Well, if Darnold would be playing, had the skill set and just transferred it to tight end, we'd be thinking, yeah, this guy's a pretty good player. But now we're thinking, wow, man, the Jets, they need to take Zach Wilson. You know what I mean? Hmm. It's so crazy in that way in that you have to produce at a high, high level. And who knows if Trevor Lawrence is going to do it, if he should go to Jacksonville. Can you guarantee, can anyone guarantee that he's going to be all that? No. You, you can't. You really you just don't know that, but yet you're expected to be that, and there's so much pressure on these guys with the high draft picks. But I like Wilson's mindset in that way. He seems unfazed by most stuff. You know, he's had a lot of stuff to overcome, and he has overcome it, but you never really saw him lose his cool or get frustrated or whatnot. So I like his ability to succeed in the NFL, but I don't know that I can say, wow, man, he's a surefire pick and he's going to lead you all the way. And you can say the same thing about Andrew Luck, too. You know, I thought, wow, this guy's this, this kid clearly was going to be the number one pick. He was sensational. And obviously injuries derailed him. But even when he was healthy, was he looking like he was headed to be one of the better quarterbacks or the top two or three in the league? I can't really say that. You know, you only need one Super Bowl to really make your rep um, if you're putting up stats the rest of the time. So who knows if he would have gotten that or not, but it did seem to me like he was more on the Philip Rivers, Alex Smith kind of trajectory, where I'm not at all surprised to see you lead a team into the playoffs, but you don't get all the way to the top of the mountain. Right, and that's and, actually and within quarterbacking, the guys fall. Yeah, and within quarterbacking, there's like multiple levels. Like if you're Stafford, who's thrown for a ton of yards, and this eyeball test during a game, he looks like an NFL quarterback. 
and he would probably give anything to be to the playoffs and have the success, you know, and be in a conference title game uh, the way Alex Smith and Philip Rivers had been. Now, Alex Smith and Philip Rivers probably, you know, they want to be Breeze and Rodgers, and Breeze and Rodgers want, you know, to win six titles like Brady. There's usually another level to go to unless you're Tom Brady. And Matthew Stafford was Clayton Kershaw's catcher in high school. That's a nice battery. (laughs) (laughs) A little little athletic there. (laughs) And I was listening to NFL radio the other day, and they were talking about Matthew Stafford and listening to him. Is he a Hall of Fame candidate? And I was screaming at the radio, what? What are you talking about? There's no way. There's no way that he is. But does that not make him a good quarterback? No. I mean, yeah, I think he is a good quarterback. Uh, so where does Zach Wilson fit in all this? And it's a gamble, but even if he were to come back next year, it would still be a gamble. So the gamble in terms of are you going to be good enough at the NFL is always going to be there until you prove that you are good enough in the NFL. So I think all of us appreciate and encourage and support Zach Wilson going forward here, thinking that, yeah, your time has come. And he's a local kid, too, at a position where – we haven't had a lot of success with our guys. There just has not been that many good state of Utah quarterbacks uh, at all, really, that have been produced. You know, McMahon, but McMahon, what did he, did he just play one year? Yeah, I think so. He'd been in Colorado. So, does that, you know, does he really count in that way? If it wasn't one, it was two tops. Where Wilson, obviously. Did you grow up here going through the ranks, going to yeah. the camps, doing all that stuff? And he did. Yeah. And he did do that, and I think he's off to California. Either he left yesterday or he's going today to get himself even more prepared to train. I don't know if it's with John Beck all the time or if there's some other people down there that he's going to train with. But uh, now is his time, man. And I think it's clearly the right decision and wish him well. Has an opportunity to be the best quarterback a true Utah and all the way through that this state has produced, knowing that there hasn't been that many of them? Uh, BYU and Utah have gone, and Utah State, for that matter, have gone to California, Arizona, and Texas for their quarterbacks. Occasionally Hawaii, going way back. But it's mostly, oh, Idaho, better say Idaho, right? Taysom Hill. Um yeah, it hasn't been Utah guys. Sometimes there have been Utah guys in the mix, and they've started a couple games, but a Utah guy hasn't locked it down and been the starting quarterback uh, for two or three years the way uh, John Beck did or Taysom Hill did or Travis Wilson. I mean, look at the Utes, right? Brian Johnson yeah. came out of Texas. Alex Texas. Smith came out of California. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been out-of-state guys mostly. It was a pipe dream if I'm a BYU fan to expect Zach Wilson to return, but I have to wonder if the football gods are against us because the one time we had somebody who has a lot of experience and all that stuff, not the one time, but a time, and then we don't play the Utah game, and then next year we got to go into it from the BYU perspective with a new starter and trying to beat these guys again, something that has not happened in so long is since 2009 walking off that field in 2009 after that rivalry pretty much had been to a good extent for, what, 15 years to like a 50-50 level in terms of, you know, you win, we win, that type of thing, exchange that back and forth. 
you know, maybe a couple years here, and they may win two or three, but then we get two out of three, whatever it might be. To think that they haven't won that game since 2009, recognizing that there had been two years that the game had not been played. So even still, that's a long time. And now whoever it is next year, you're going to go into it with a brand-new quarterback who's not going to have a ton of experience. <laughs> it's sort of, uh, sort of torturous from the uh, BYU perspective because if you were ever going to beat Utah, you would have thought this year at the beginning of the season with what the Utes were bringing back and what the Utes had lost and what you were bringing back and what you hadn't lost, this would have been the year. Yeah, this would have been the year, and now next year there will be a lot of new faces, and we can get to that when the game gets closer. But there are going to be a lot of new faces next year, PK. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to welcome in Matt Harrison from Lone Depot, kicking off 2021. Matt, good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Oh, man, I, I'm just dying that we didn't have that BYU-Utah game this year. <laughs> You're not All alone. All of us are. You're, you're not alone. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, well, I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to be on with you. Um, you know, really, my goal with, with being on today is to, is to educate more on reverse mortgages and where they're at. So I'll kind of start with the basics. You know, what is it? You know, reverse mortgage is a way for homeowners 62 and better. Uh, to access equity in their home or to purchase a new home that better fits their needs. Uh, you know, once a reverse mortgage begins for you, monthly principal and interest payments are no longer required. You, know, you pay property taxes and insurance and continue to live in the property as your primary residence and maintain the home. And so it's, it's a great way for uh, homeowners, <coughs> uh, you know, to be able to, to really extinguish that forward mortgage um, or, you know, be able to buy something that, you know, better fits their needs and, and not have to have that, that monthly payment. So you've got uh, several things you got to do, several bars that have to be cleared. It's not for everybody. Who is it for? Right. So it, the, the first one is you, you have to be at least 62 or better, or if you're a married couple, at least one of you has to be 62 or better. And, you know, the, the second piece is the you know, you've got to have a, a home that kind of fits the, the you know, the, the criteria. But this is not going to be hard. You know, FHA guidelines are, are um, you know, are set to make sure that the home is uh, is livable and, and good condition. Um, you know, it has to be a primary residence. You know, there's there's counseling that's required. And, and really, the first step is to uh, is to connect with, uh, with a mortgage professional. Um, uh, you know, I have my clients call me all the time. And, and it's really three basic things that we need. We need a birth date. We need to know, uh, you know approximately how much equity you have in your home and if there's any liens affecting the property. And once we have that information, uh, we're able to, uh, you know, design a program and, and let you know how it works. But, you know, one of the pieces to this, uh, DJ and PK, that I, I really enjoy is, is access to a line of credit. And, and the line of credit is really unique. It's very different than, say, a HELOC. Uh, in that you, you're able to have um, line of credit growth and it's a half a percent greater than whatever the interest rate is on the loan. And so this, this line of credit is growing for you that can be accessed for any time for any reason. Another great way to use this program. All right, so how do people get a hold of you if they want to know more? You've kind of whetted their interest, but there's a lot of details to track down, obviously. There are. Yeah, there really is. So um, first off, my website is a wealth of information. So write this down. It is reverseourhome.com. Again, reverseourhome.com. 
I've got a series of videos. It teaches you about the program and really gets you educated on it. And then feel free to reach out to me and give me a call or send me a text. My phone number is 801-330-2200. Again, 801-330-2200. I'm more than happy to answer any of your questions on the program. And, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, it's just an exciting way to be able to, to access that equity and increase that cash flow. All right, Matt, thanks a lot for joining us. Okay, take care. All right, Matt Harrison, Loan Depot. You can find him at ReverseOurHome.com. ReverseOurHome.com. Matt Harrison, Loan Consultant, NMLS ID 1425580. Union Park Center, South Suite 625, Cottonwood Heights, Utah 84047. LoanDepot.com, LLC, NMLS ID 174457. Licensed as a DRE mortgage entity number 8144239. Equal housing opportunity lender. A reverse mortgage loan is a loan and may result in negative equity. The loan must be paid off when the last borrower or eligible non-borrowing survivor spouse dies, sells the home, permanently moves out, or does not comply with the loan's terms. Materials are not from HUD or FHA and were not approved by HUD, FHA, or a government agency. If you're in any doubt as to the suitability of a product or service that you are intending to purchase or any aspect of your personal finances, we recommend that you seek independent financial advice first. Rates, terms, and availability of programs are subject to change without notice. Call Reverse Mortgage Counselor near you. Call 1-800-569-4287. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're going to talk NFL with Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter. Uh, and We'll talk uh, playoffs and uh, matchups and NFL trends and all that stuff here uh, momentarily, PK. Uh, the NFL, you like that final day of action? The, the Titans winning the division by banking a field goal through as time runs out? I mean, maybe they would have won it in overtime anyway, but that was fairly dramatic. Three scores in the last two minutes just going up and down the field. How does Houston give up a 50-yard pass over the top with 18 seconds left? What are they doing? They stink. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Derrick Henry's reaction to that field goal was, was uh, priceless. It was, it was great. Uh, all right, time to bring in Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter. Jason, good morning. Thanks for joining us again. No problem. What's going on, guys? Oh, well, there's a gazillion NFL storylines. But I'm curious um, if uh, for you know the expanded format and, and more teams and all of that, uh, at the end, is it going to be a bunch of quarterbacks who've already won Super Bowls battling to win one more Super Bowl? Or could someone new break through? And, of course, when I say that, all eyes turn to Buffalo. Uh, look, I think Buffalo has a chance, but their chance is determined by are the Chiefs going are, are to be bored and let down and allow somebody else to get into this, if that makes sense. I think that look, the Chiefs are so much better than everybody else in the field when they play hard. They haven't had to play hard except for, you know, like 20 minutes at a time. You know, they'll, they'll go into a game and they'll be behind by 10 points and then all of a sudden for 20 minutes they'll score four touchdowns and all of a sudden it's 28 to 10 and they're cruising. Um, so they sort of waste the first 15 or 20 minutes of game, play really hard for 20 minutes, and then they cruise through the last 20 minutes of the game. I've seen them do that time and again. The only game where I thought they played really hard for 45, 50 minutes was the Baltimore game early in the season, and they really took it to them. And then ever since then, it's sort of like, okay, we can just cruise through games. Because this is a team that in the playoffs last year, they overcame – three straight games in which they were down by double digits, right? So they've, they've cleared these um, big hurdles, 
And then they came back and they got Baltimore, who they didn't face last year in the playoffs, and they torched them. So it's like, okay, none of you are a challenge. And that's why you get games like the game against Atlanta last week, which they're just muddling through. And it's like, okay, turn it on, score a touchdown, put the game away, we're good. And that's, that's the kind of thing where Buffalo can catch them by surprise. But to get back to your original point, look, I've always rated playoff teams by tell me who the quarterback is. You know, <laughs> if that team has a great quarterback, put them at the top of the list of the teams most likely to win. That's how it usually works in this league. What's your reaction simply to the fact that the NFL managed to have a 17-week season with the pandemic? Uh, an extraordinary thing. I think they 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 made an abnormal situation look as normal as possible. And yeah, there, there are some hiccups along the line. You know, there are games you had to move around, and yeah. But like this is this is a. You know, this is a situation that nobody else has ever, you know, foreseen. I mean, yeah, the league has dealt with some disasters, you know, 9-11 or, you know, Kennedy, you know, Kennedy being shot and killed. And, you know, they've had, they've had some moments where a season has been interrupted for a week or, you know, a hurricane has changed where a, a team plays, things like that. But this was, had to be managed so completely and so um, constantly, you know, to prevent outbreaks from becoming worse than they were um, and to prevent things that happen in baseball. And I'm not trying to rip baseball because baseball was the, sort of the first one in the barrel. And, you know, we nobody knew how this was going to play out. Um, to me, you know, the, the NFL did a, fabulous job of managing their way through a very, very difficult situation with teams, you know, where you have, you know, 80 to a hundred people involved with that team, players and coaches where this could have really gotten out of control a number of times. So if you have a lot of money and you're motivated Uh by the fact that there's a lot of money at stake, then you really can move mountains. Oh, absolutely. Money, money makes the world go round, as the, as the saying goes. But yeah, every, there was a, the mutual uh, people had a mutual motivation to make sure the season was pulled off. The players and the the players and man, and the owners they wanted to get this thing done. The, the coaches too, and and they realized how much was at stake. And I think they learned from what the other two sports had gone through before them. They were fortunate to get, be the third one in. If this had been a pandemic that had hit, like, in a June or July setting, and, you know, that that would have put the – that would have put the NFL in a much bigger bind in terms of how they reacted to this. They were the fortunate ones that learned from baseball and from basketball. So with Jordan Love played Utah State, obviously we follow him. We know about the draft situation. Uh, going to Green Bay, and we heard, oh, man, Aaron Rodgers, they should have given him more weapons, blah, blah, blah. You know, he's towards the end of his career, yada, yada, all that stuff. And then he responds with just really, uh, I can almost say, uh, a one-of-a-kind season, particularly for him at his advanced age. He was just simply sensational. What explanation do you have for it? 
I think that he there, there's a um, I think for Rodgers he realized look this was a challenge but it was a challenge from a coach who he a trusted and b in his own way look Matt LaFleur is the coach of the Packers because of Aaron Rodgers because Rodgers got tired of McCarthy so if this didn't work out if there was a war here Rodgers was going to be the one who was going to take most of the blame. So I think Rodgers at a certain point had to had to realize, look, I got to make the best of the situation. I can't I can't do what Brett Favre did and and sort of and and be obstinate about, you know, the fact that a quarterback was drafted, you know, while in the first round while I'm still here. I have to just deal with it. I have to be a better teammate and I have to be better with the team myself. And I think that, I think he learned from his own past and I think that he learned from his own responsibility in this situation and said, I'm going to do everything I can to make the best of it. Now, I think ultimately this, I don't believe that the Packers are so overwhelmingly talented that they can get through a playoff situation with the with the weapons that they have. I have doubts about it, but they have put themselves in the best possible position to do it, you know, by having a home field advantage, such as it is, you know, without fans. But certainly with the cold weather, they have they have a you know some some level of advantage. I don't think it's going to be as important against Tom Brady, who played his entire career in cold weather, but it will work against most of the other players from a team like Tampa. So the bigger threat to the Packers then and to uh, the awesome stats Rodgers has put up, the 48 touchdowns and the only five interceptions, which seems crazy, the biggest threat to them and what they put together this year, is it the Saints or has Breeze dropped off enough and maybe not healthy enough that you really look at the Seahawks, even though they haven't seemed to put together the great offense they had early in the year and the really good defense they've had here at the end of the year, they haven't put it all together at the same time very often. No, but the, Seattle probably has – they have a significantly better defense over the last six games than they did the first half. So they're, they're, on a, they're probably an average to slightly above average defense when they were, you know, after being the worst defense in the league for the first, what, nine, ten games of the season. So they've gotten to the point where they can uh, make life at least reasonably difficult for, for most of the other teams in the NFC. I don't think they're good enough to make it difficult for the Chiefs if the Chiefs get there, right? But certainly for everybody in the, else in the NFC. I, I think that the team that I look at and says can give the Packers the most problem is Tampa Bay. I, I really do think the Buccaneers – like I, I see with Brady the progression of being on the same page with Mike Evans now, being on the same page with Godwin, and all of a sudden Antonio Brown has started to get his timing back where the first couple of weeks Antonio Brown looked out of sorts and you know, looked like a guy who hadn't played in over a year, right? Um, now all of a sudden he looks like a guy who's comfortable and back to playing and sitting there and going, oh, okay, I remember how to do this, and he's moving at a speed closer to what we remember. So those three weapons, and then you throw in Gronkowski and Braid is, Braid is a workable guy, and Ronald Jones. The thing that they miss 
to me is they don't have a good pass-catching running back out of the backfield, but I think they've covered it enough with the three receivers that they have and that, that combination with a couple of decent tight ends. So I like what they're doing offensively, and I think they're just good enough. Um, they're just good enough defensively. They're sort of similar to Seattle, maybe just slightly better than Seattle defensively. So I would give them the nod. You know, New Orleans got the best defense out of this entire group, but they're a dome team with a quarterback who's just his arm is just not there. And his body is beat up. I love Drew Brees, and he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. And, like, all we have to do is say his name, and he's going to get into the Hall of Fame kind of thing. But, boy, his, you know, if, if you're expecting him to throw that way in a cold-weather game, I just don't see it. Like, I, I don't see him being able to make a big play in 30-degree weather with the arm the way, the way that it is right now. So as far as the Steelers, you know, we don't count the last game because the starters and all weren't playing. But what do you uh-huh. make of their little late-season slump as far as them with their perspective and prospects going into the postseason? Well, I remember Denver, at the end of Elway's career, when Denver won their first of back-to-back titles, if you remember that, they went through a similar kind of slump where they, I think they lost two or three games in a row, which is recounted in the biography I just published of John Elway um, you know, in September. You know, they lost a couple of critical games, including a game at San Francisco where they, they lost their cool in that game. And they had to go on the road um, to win, you know, three critical games. Um, you know, a game at Pittsburgh, the game at Kansas City, um, and then, you know, and then finally win that Super Bowl against Green Bay. So, I think that this can serve for a veteran team with a veteran quarterback as sort of a wake-up call. My bigger problem, though, with the Steelers is, like, they just – their personnel is banged up. You know, like, they're just missing certain guys that are critical. You know, they're on their third, you know, inside linebacker who's calling plays. You know, they've got – you know, Dupree is hurt. Um, they just – you know, they're ravaged in what was their strength. And, and defense – particularly that kind of defense plays better in the postseason because the game becomes more physical when you get into the postseason. And I expected that defense to be much more effective than it was in the regular season. The one caveat to this or the one counter to that is I think that Roethlisberger finally had that game that you get when you're starting to feel confident in your body again and starting to feel like, okay, I'm back to normal. I don't have to worry about getting hit. I don't have to worry about making certain throws. I'm just going to be myself again. And that takes a while for guys when they go through a year year off. Um, I remember Carson Palmer, you know, when he came back from a knee injury. Now, a knee injury is very different from an elbow injury. But even with an elbow, you're not feeling confident about your arm. I think he finally turned it loose in that you know, that last game that he played, and it was like, okay, that's the Roethlisberger I remember. And if that happens, if they get enough of out of Roethlisberger and enough out of their defense, then they've got probably the third best shot in the AFC. They, still, they, can, they can sneak up on Buffalo and make this a little bit more interesting. The one difference is Buffalo's, Buffalo's really hot, 
and the Chiefs are obviously the most talented team. So Alex Smith played at the University of Utah. People still follow him. He is five and one as a starter. They are two and eight when he doesn't start. He's gotten Washington in the playoffs. Is there any chance that that Washington defense, which seems to be pretty good when the quarterback's not turning uh-huh. the ball over and putting them in terrible positions, that they could get pressure on Brady because his numbers drop dramatically when he's under pressure, and that Washington could shock the world a seven and nine team winning a playoff game the way the Seahawks. We're seven and nine, and beat the Saints when they were the defending champs. Uh, you know, it's it's altogether possible. I just don't see that they can score enough points. I, I I just I think that even if you put pressure on Brady a couple of times, don't you get the feeling that they're still going to manage to score twenty four to twenty eight points at a minimum? Yeah, and Washington twenty four to twenty yeah. right, and, and and Washington's really challenged to get much past twenty to twenty three. So, like, I just I, – I don't see that that Washington has enough. Now, crazy things can happen. And so I would say if those teams were to play seven times, can I imagine Washington winning one or two of those, of those seven? Yes. And can I – you know, but two's pushing it. I just think that Tampa is that much better than them right now. It's not impossible. It can happen. But I just don't know that – I don't know that Washington can score enough points combined with they can, they can create enough turnovers that will keep Tampa to under 24 points. That's, that's where I see a problem in this game for Washington. You think Brady and Breeze are done, or you think they'll come back? Oh, Brady! Will, I think Brady will come back. I think Breeze is going to be on the TV booth next year. Um, look, that's that's just how they were setting it up, and that's you know that's good. I mean, I he, he's had a fabulous career. Um, he has played until basically you know the the wheels are have almost completely come off. Um, but you know, you watch and like a thirty-five yard throw downfield. Is tough for him to make right now. Making a tight throw into tight windows is tough. So I, I think that they've made a decision. I think collectively they've made a decision that look, this is going to be the last year, Drew. You, this is what you're you want. You know, we got Taysom Hill, we got Jameis Winston. Um, we'll figure it out for next year, um, but you know, it's 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 time at this point at, at this point in your career that you need to move on. And I think that Breeze is accepting of that. That's why he was ready to go. He was probably ready to go do TV last this season, you know, last off season, but he decided to stick it out for another year. So the coaching carousel. So already uh, the Jets have made their move. The Jaguars now, I guess, have made their move. So there's, there's teams one and two in the draft. How many more coaches are going to be gone? And is Urban Meyer about to get a job? Um, I would say, uh, well, we've got Detroit's already in there. Houston's already, already in there. Um, there were six teams that I was looking at that were going to make a move. And who are the other two that I was thinking about? It's, Bron- not, it's not Phil. Broncos or Chargers? Bronco- uh, no, I think the Chargers, the Chargers, you know, they had enough of a late season surge. There was one of the teams that I thought might do it. Um, but there was enough of a late season surge, and 
they like where the quarterback is going. So I think that that Anthony Lynn will um, survive that one in the long run. Um, you know, we've got four, we got four teams basically in this thing. I've got because it's just bugging me who is the other team. Um, since he'll survive, um, Arizona. No, Arizona's fine. They're they're gonna they don't they don't make changes willy nilly. I mean, I think they're disappointed, but they don't make changes willy nilly. Cowboys so are gonna stand Atlanta, pat. Right? You've got you've got Atlanta. Cowboys aren't gonna do anything. So you've got Atlanta, you've got Detroit, you've got Houston already. Now you've added two. That's five teams. The Bears was the other team that, but the playoff surge will make them want to hold on because they're very conservative on a management side. It's 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 sort of similar to Philadelphia. The, the Bears have made changes enough that they know that grass is not greener. And Philadelphia, I think Jeff Lurie learned, you know, a lot. When he let yeah, Andy Reid go and brought in Chip Kelly, and that was, ended up being a disaster for him after three seasons, and they said he had to move on and get to Doug Peterson. And that's why I think he'll let Doug Peterson play it out a little bit longer um, and see if he can fix it because he wants he wants to have stability within um, for his coaching. So I think that we're at five. I think that that will probably be it this year. Uh, Minnesota is a team I would watch. Um, but you know, Zimmer did get an extension last off season. Uh, but that's a team that, that want, you know, is, is pushing really hard to win and Chicago will survive as well. As for urban Meyer, it makes sense in Jacksonville to do that. Um, I think he'll have an awful lot of temptation because you have the number one overall pick. You have a chance to get a quarterback. I think the question with urban is going to be is twofold. Number one, is he actually going to play a pro style offense that works in this in this league? Because I don't think his offense, the way it was run at either Ohio State or at Florida, can function in the NFL. It doesn't have enough intermediate throwing uh, involved, and it exposes the quarterback too much to too much damage. So I don't think that his offensive system can work in the NFL. So is he willing to make that change? And he probably would want to do that with Trevor Lawrence. The other thing that with Urban is, look, Urban's greatest success was based on his ability to recruit. Um, and he's a great recruiter and a great evaluator of talent. That doesn't exist in the NFL. Like, you don't get to just convince people to come and play for you. You have to, you have to draft really well. And Jacksonville is not an easy place to get players to come to play because uh, it's not an electric city with a great media market, great ability to make money off the field. It does have a great tax situation and you're in a warm weather area, but I don't know that it's, I don't know that that's a perfect fit. And I wonder how urban is going to like the distraction of, you know, playing in London once or twice a year, uh, the way that they have been playing and the way that they're trying to promote that team um, in London that sounds to me the urban that I knew that I learned about here in Gainesville um, from my living here as long as I have and is basically his entire tenure. He's not a guy who likes to tolerate any kind of distraction in any way, shape, or form. And so I think there are a lot of things to me that that 
make it hard for him to accept that Jacksonville job, but the money may just be too good and the opportunity to get back in it may just be too good for Urban. Jason, we appreciate the time and uh, all your opinions. Thanks for coming on. No problem, guys. Enjoy the uh, weekend. It should be uh, it should be a fun one. Jason Cole, veteran NFL reporter, joining us. Wild Card Weekend, triple headers Saturday and Sunday. Football all day long. PK, the NFL always wanted to fill those time slots. You could always see them sitting there, and now they're cashing in on it. Yeah, I would like to see it continue, actually. I think you will. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Steve Cleveland's coming up in 15 minutes. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. It's our friend Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated. It was obviously a short offseason for everybody, and the Jazz were not part of a lot of the bigger moves, but I mean, the most important one is just getting Bogdanovich back and get Conley a little bit more comfortable, Mitchell taking another step forward. I mean, we know who the Jazz are. We know what their identity is about. For them, it's just about getting back to what they hoped they would be and were in flashes last season. I think it's can you wring the most out of this group that's possible and get some growth around the edges because the landscape in the Western Conference is just brutal and unforgiving. It's almost like you're just trying to keep up right now. The Big Show, weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. And now, really? your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealer's strong play of the weekend. Snap, set, Slovens kick is up. His kick hits the upright and goes through. Yes, it yes, 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 yes. Great job, Sloman. Bank shot for Sloman. And the 2020 AFC South champions reside in the 6-1-5. There is the Chevy Strong play of the game. Time runs out with the Colts banking through a field goal to win the division. They'll host the Ravens. The Titans, not the Colts. The Tennessee Titans get the win and take the division title away from the Colts with that victory right there. That's Chevy Strong play of the game. Know it today at 4.50, and you can win fabulous prizes on the big show. Time to bring in Matt Harrison from Loan Depot. He's joining us this morning to talk about reverse mortgages, how they work, why you might want them. Matt, how might they work, and why might you want them? That's a great question, DJ. I get asked that all the time. (laughs) Hey, first off, so a reverse mortgage is really simple. So if you're 62 or better and you've got an equity position in your home of about 50%-ish, this program is going to be a great option for you to look at. If you have a home that's paid off, it's a great option to look at. Um, and, And really it's designed to allow access to equity in a home or allow you to purchase a home with a reverse that's going to be better fit for your needs. And the great thing about it, DJ and PK, is that you don't have any monthly principal or interest payments that you need to do anymore. You're done. Uh, you can use that money to live life. You can and, you know, save it. You can go on a vacation. Um, and there's all sorts of things that you can do you know, with this particular program. So you've got uh, you got options what you how you get into this, but there are a few things that are hard and fast, right? Yep. So first off, um, at least one of the borrowers has to be 62 or older. 
Um, second, we kind of talked about the, you know, the, the amount of equity that you need to have available in the home has to be a primary residence. And so if you're looking at doing this for a second home or as an investment property, it's not going to be the program that's going to, uh, you know, be able to work for you. And then there's HUD counseling that's required for these as well, which we get into. And it's really pretty easy. It takes about a half hour on the phone and you basically go through the, the proposal that's been presented to you and which, by the way, is super easy. Uh, in order to get, uh, you know, a really good fit and I- idea of where you're at, I just need a couple of really small things. I need your birth date. I need to know how much equity you have in the home, and I need to know uh, so an approximate value of the home and if there's any liens affecting the property. Once we have that, we're good to go, and we can kind of move forward and, and let you know how this program can work for you. So the next thing for people to do is to either call you or check out your website? Yeah, exactly. So I created a website. It has a ton of videos. It has a testimonial video on there. I mean, it's, it's just jam-packed with information that will help you decide if this program is good for you. And you can find that at reverseourhome.com. Again, reverseourhome.com. Or you can reach out to me on my cell phone, 801-330-2200. Again, 801 801- Three three zero two two zero zero. I'm excited to introduce you to the program. Matt Harrison, he is with Loan Depot. You can find him at reverseourhome.com or call 801-330-2200. Matt Harrison, loan consultant, NMLS ID 1425580. 801-330-2200. 6985 Union Park Center, South Suite 625, Cottonwood Heights, Utah 84047. LoanDepot.com, LLC, NMLS ID 174457. Licensed as a DRE mortgage entity number 8144239. Equal housing opportunity lender. A reverse mortgage loan is a loan and may result in negative equity. The loan must be paid off when the last borrower or eligible non-borrowing survivor spouse dies, sells the home, permanently moves out, or does not comply with the loan's terms. Materials are not from HUD or FHA and were not approved by HUD, FHA, or a government agency. If you are in any doubt as to the suitability of a product or service that you are intending to purchase or any aspect of your personal finances, we recommend that you seek independent financial advice first. Rates, terms, and availability of programs are subject to change without notice. Call Reverse Mortgage Counselor near you. Call 1-800-569-4287.